Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Second Act Actors. I'm your host, Dr. Janet McMorty, and I'm still a medical doctor simultaneously trying to pursue a career in acting. My guest this week is Ray Buffer. Ray states he has always been an actor. It's been a part of his life his entire life. He went to school for musical theater. He's got an incredible, deep, baritone singing voice. You'll hear it. He, like I said, went to school for musical theater. He started his own theater company, and now he is pursuing a full-time career in acting. He's still singing and doing a lot of voiceover work. He's also my first self-identified character actor. He will not be the last. I've got a couple more coming up. He's got a very unique look, big, big, awesome beard. So he gets to go in and play a lot of really cool characters. And we touch on that. He also plays Santa a lot. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see why. Please enjoy the holly jolly Ray Buffer. Again, whereabouts are you located? Sure, I'm in Long Beach, California. Oh, very nice. How's the weather? It looks sunny. It is hot, extremely hot here. In fact, I, I just um, went to Cabo for my birthday, which was just a few days ago, and we were there for a week. And we went there for the sun and 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 you know to sit out and just enjoy the weather. And we got here, got back home, and it was hotter here. There was a heat wave here, so. Oh my gosh! Like we could have just stayed. We could have had a staycation and gotten even more sun. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, happy belated birthday! Thank you. That's Thank you. awesome. Congratulations on another trip around the sun. Another trip. Yes, I think I'm going to stop counting them pretty soon. Oh, I, I think there was a point in time where I remember thinking nothing else exciting comes like milestone wise. I think once I passed 21 when I was like, I can legally vote, I can rent a car. Like what else is there to celebrate? <laughs> so sure. I just stopped counting. <laughs> and it gets hard too. I mean, it's like, you know, people say, what do you want for your birthday? And it's like, well, if there's really something I want that I know, you know, I, I something that I really want that I know is expensive, I'll just buy it myself. You know, it, it's like, if, they, if it's an inexpensive gift, I pretty much have everything that I need. You know, it's like you get to a yeah. point where it's like, you know, how many more ring lights can I ask for? Or, you know, it's like, <laughs> or a book on this or a book on that. You know, it's like, I don't, you, at a certain yeah. point, you've, you've accumulated enough stuff. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. And I think that's where I know there was that bit of a shift during the pandemic. I wonder if it'll still happen about, you know, thinking more about the experiences, the gifting of experiences as opposed to the gifting of more stuff. Um, right. And then obviously in the pandemic, there were no experiences to be had, but now maybe there are, which, yeah, I, I agree. Like, it's like how many more people buy me funky socks and books? I'm like, I appreciate it, right? but I don't need any more. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put that in the funky sock bin that's out on my porch, you know? It's like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I wear funky socks with my scrubs. So, like, again, everyone's like, it's like the thing that I do. So people now know that if they're stuck for a gift for me, they just buy me funky socks. I'm like, oh, sure. I like them. Okay. But I don't need any more. But, yeah, you're so right. You're so right. It just becomes more clutter. 
Yeah, it really does. So, but experiences is interesting, but experiences aren't cheap either. So it's kind of a tricky thing unless someone's getting you like a, an escape room experience or something. It's, there's, there's not a, can't really ask for someone to get you a trip to Bermuda or, or France or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, they ask you, what do you want for your birthday? You're like, trip to Bermuda. <laughs> right. like how about a pair Cr- of funky socks <laughs> <Cricket Gamma>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or some bermuda shorts here's some bermuda there shorts. you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah tell me your story how did you get into acting well uh i may be a strange guest for you because i've i've always been an actor um uh, the, the the second act the way the second act fits for me is i have gone in and out from acting and, you know, I've gone back into the survival gig mode and, and worked for the man for a while. And then all of a sudden got a craving to be left brained again and be creative and, and do my own thing. What recently happened was I was directing and producing uh, musical theater. I had formed my own company, gotten to a point where I was kind of entrepreneurial and was doing more of like a, a management and facilitating other people um, acting. Um, and I'd been doing that up until just before the pandemic and got that craving again to just focus on my own performance and take a step away from producing and directing and actually focus on me performing again and, and being an actor full time. And just before the pandemic, I started doing that again and I've been doing it ever since. And I think I'm having more success now as an actor, you know, being myself as an actor than I did 20 years ago when I was giving it a go. Um, And the reasoning for that, I mean, we can get into that, but uh, I think just being older, I think I fit better in in my my flesh uh, right now than I did 20 years ago. Um, But from the age of, I'd say, uh, 12, 13 is when I started acting. Um, And I... um, I did that in plays first and then um, was introduced to musical theater, which became my love and was my, my passion throughout school and, and going to, to, to uh, college. Um, and I got my degree in musical theater and then I started working in regional theater, dinner theater, um, doing a lot of, um, you know, big box musicals. Um, I also worked as a stage manager, so I saw different sides of the business even early on. Um, but all that experience had kind of accumulated, and um, probably at around 2008, I was working for other companies doing marketing, um, other theater companies doing marketing, um, being a general manager for an opera company. And I just kind of realized, you know, if I'm doing this for other people's dreams, why don't I just dream my own dream? So I formed uh, a theater company um, in 2009 that ran until about 2012. Um, Funding kind of dried up and I needed to pay the bills a different way. So I went back into kind of retail type of careers for a couple of years. And then I moved to Long Beach where I am now and formed another company with a partner, which we kept going for a few years until the pandemic kind of stopped us. But um, I think being forced to stop producing from the pandemic is what reignited my, my idea of, you know, I need to be an actor again, see what I can do. 
That was a long answer, wasn't it? <laughs> no, not at all. I, well, I, I think that happened to a lot of people in the pandemic, right? There was this, like, not just the great resignation that, you know, CNN keeps talking about, but I think there was also a great kind of, I don't know, mindset, discovery, trying to figure out what ignites your passion again um, from, you know, kind of a great reset button almost, right? Like, I think yeah. I think a lot of people felt that way. Mm-hmm. I think they, they so took inventory. So you were very creative. Sorry? Oh, I, I'm sorry. I was just saying, I think, yeah, a lot of people took personal inventory on where they're spending their time, their life, the years they have. And and I think that's why so many people have quit, you know, their jobs or refused to go back to the same jobs without negotiating, you know, new ways of working. I think people, it, it really has empowered the worker, um, the, the pandemic, and I'm curious to see how how long that empowerment will last. Mm-hmm. Open ended. I, I I don't know where I'm leading with that, but I, you know, I just I wonder when employers are going to start, you know, requiring things of workers again that that just kind of like restore back into default mode the way we were, or if things are going to be permanent. We'll see. Yeah, I think. It'll be interesting to see. I know in Canada, we're definitely seeing a shift back into kind of the way it was, mainly because inflation has just skyrocketed. And I know this is like a negative Nancy thing to talk about, but like, you know, yeah, it's great to dream big and do the things that you've always found that give you inspiration and passion, but everything is just so damn expensive, and yeah. people kind of have that realization of, yeah, I want to do my passion projects because we only have one life to live. But then also you know, the starving artist mentality isn't really, you know, doesn't cut it anymore. Yeah, I think we had maybe maybe two years of like, in my experience, we had maybe about two, maybe three years where the wages had, were increasing, you know, um, mm-hmm. universally. And everybody was had a little more money to spend, and you know things were kind of coasting along, and then boom, then that inflation hit, and so now it's like, yeah. it's like we were here. It's like two steps forward, you know, three steps back. It's it's kind of we're we're in the step back mode right now. So hopefully, maybe maybe we're nearing the the precipice of that, and we'll start stepping forward again soon. Yeah, I hope so. Take me back to when you were a kid. Because so many people I talked to on this podcast who had a career prior to acting were very similar to you, right? Had creativity and aspirations to act when they were young and were the theater kids in musical theater in high school. And then somebody or something came along and said, be rational. That is not a logical career choice and kind of shut down that and then we went the logical career the reasonable career path um did that ever happen to you or did you always find you had some supportive either mentor or adult or someone saying yeah this is you go for it yeah i think i i think i think more that than 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 the um than the what you were saying prior i think i had more people cheerleading me uh, telling me to go for it, telling me, you know, oh, you could do this, you could do that, you could be this. Um, so I had a lot of support. 
I think the rational voice came from myself. I think it was uh, from necessity. You know, we were talking earlier about materialism and accumulating things from our birthdays. Well, I think that when you're younger, you're you're maybe more materialistic, and you're more you're more about accumulation and you know status, and you know you want to drive a nice car, and you you know so so you accumulate debt. I think more more. more assiduously. I mean, you, you just, you take, you take on a lot of, um, uh, responsibility. And so as I was doing that, when I was younger, I realized, well, I got to pay for this. And, you know, being a starving artist doesn't always pay for that. So I think I would go as long as I could, you know, trying to make money being an artist. And then when I realized, well, you know, I'm going to get evicted soon. <laughs> I, I would then go and, and find a job, you know, and, and I think being a big guy, I'm six foot four. I was still six foot four back then, you know, being a big guy, um, uh, security kind of jobs came easy for me. So if I knew I had to, to go make a buck or something, I could pick up, you know, that kind of work. And that's kind of like what my, what was essentially my fallback for a while, at least in my twenties. And I think, um, I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a desire to work full time, making money from the man and then part time, you know, moving your acting or your singing or whatever, whatever your artistic career is forward. Um, but it's not that practical. I think you get more results when you go whole hog, when you move forward and and invest your primary energy into something because, you know, doing that full-time job somewhere else and then trying to do part-time another 20, 30 hours towards what you really enjoy, you don't necessarily have your primary energy to put towards that because you're, you're spent. If you put all your energy into your full-time job, just trying to pay the rent. So that can work for a while, you know, but I, I found that I was taking baby steps back then and those baby steps weren't really creating enough momentum for my career back in that day. Um, whereas now I've kind of turned the tables and now my full-time thing is acting. And if needed, I've got some part-time little things I can do to fill the void when I'm not, when I have a, a, a day off or, or a weekend off, and I just want to bring in some more income. So I think that's a much healthier balance, at least for my heart and and my mind and where I want to be. So as a child, I mean, first thing that came to me was music. I played violin. That led to me singing, which um, was a voice thing. And then um, I was introduced to drama in middle school. And that's where I realized drama and music could go together. And musical theater exists. So that was kind of the growth pattern of my adolescence um, and then going into college. Um, film and TV is a kind of a different animal than, than theater. Theater was, uh, and I'm from Florida, so I was born in Florida, grew up in Florida, stayed in Florida until around 1999. The final five years I was in Florida, I was in Orlando, um, which is all theme parks and theaters and, you know, a lot of um, live entertainment. 
And so that's what I was working in was in that realm. When I came to California, there wasn't, there wasn't that world really for me to walk into. So I had to start working on film and TV and, and realize the differences and work my way into that industry. And it was a slow crawl. And I think around 2004, just when I thought I was getting momentum in that industry is when it, it just fell apart. And I was like, okay, I've got to go back. And now I've got to work full time for someone else doing something I really don't want to do. But that's the time that I learned the backstage experience. I worked in man in management and marketing and, and learned different things that helped me start those companies that I had mentioned earlier. And then that led me to becoming a hungry actor again and wanting to act again. So, you know, it's, it's all connected, you know, it's a path. Yeah. You know, I've always been a character actor because of my size. I've always been wide um, and tall and I have a deep bass baritone voice. So um, even in my twenties, I was cast a lot as older roles. So I would put age makeup on and play Chevia at the age of 26 or, you know, uh, Laser Wolf or Uncle Chris or, you know, it was always these, these older 60, 70 year old characters from a, a mid twenties actor. So I think, um, my, one of my friends kind of pegged it when they said, Oh, you've aged into yourself. You know, I'm now 53. So I can pretty much say I've been playing 50 year olds for about 35 years. So I have a lot of experience, you know, playing where I'm at right now. So this is the gravy. I'm now, I've now reached, I've reached a point where I don't have to put on the age makeup, you know, unless I'm playing 80, but you know, it's, um, I, I think experience has something to do with it. I think being comfortable in your own skin. And I think back then I was, a character actor, yes, but I was, you know, kind of baby-faced, and I didn't have the lines up here and the lines here and the grade here and the beard. And, you know, I think um, I, I just kind of grew into myself. Do you think, like, how, how did that feel? Like, I know we as, I think, actors, because it is such a visual industry, uh, it can be tough to because we always want to show like the best parts of ourselves. And for a lot of us, we think that means like the prettiest photo, the best looking picture and the headshot where I think truly the industry and even like casting and stuff like that wants to see like real people playing real people. And I know me as an audience member would want that as well too, but it can be a tough mindset shift to be like, Hey, I'm old now and look old. Excellent. <laughs> like, right. how has that been? Like, it was, has that been a tough kind of shift or has that just been exciting? I, I think it's, it's, I mean, you know, it helps to know what you are. Cause I think, mm -hmm. I think that younger actors want to be everything. So they'll apply for the older roles. They'll apply for the younger roles. They'll apply for the 18 to look younger. You know, it, it's like, it makes it easier if I'm on actors access or breakdown services and I'm looking at jobs, um, you know, roles that, that they want self tapes or, or auditions for, then I, I'll look for 30 to 50 or, you know, 40 to 60. And, 
you know, it, it helps me it helps me concentrate on exactly what I'm going to pursue, you know, where I'm going to put my energy. If I'm going to type a cover letter and send off something, I'm not going to just do blanket submissions anymore for anything that's white and male. You know, it's like I have, I have a, a, a prism that I I'm in now. And so, um, I need to, to stay within my boundaries. And I think by doing that, I'm having more success because I'm spending more quality time doing the right kind of submissions. Mm. Um, but I, you know what, a pet peeve, which you touched on a little bit is real people. You know, reality TV came about uh, fairly recently and it's kind of created this environment where there's a lot more improvisation in scripted TV because, because of the push towards reality and being real. Um, and I think that's a good thing. But uh, one of my pet peeves is going on an, a, a casting site for actors. And they say, we're looking for real uh, Haitian gynecologists. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't you go to HaitianGynecologist.com and not Actors Access? Because, I mean, w you know, you're a sports medicine doctor, but I mean, you know, I would think that there are sites that people can go to to find real sports medicine doctors um, as opposed to going to an acting website where it seems like it's, there's, you're less likely to find uh, that specific type of person. You know, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, I don't know, I scratched my head. But I guess casting directors are, are casting a wide net, just trying to find mm -hmm. the, the right people. And, and a lot of times I'll see, too, they'll put, maybe you have a friend who's a Haitian gynecologist, you know, or it's like, pass this on. It's like, well, that's pretty desperate, you know, but. That, that's such a great point. And I never really thought about that, right? Like, I've done some, you know, like medical consulting and on TV shows, right? And that's such a good point. Like, if you wanted a real Haitian gynecologist, I can find, I can find, find, find you one. But they don't, right? They want an, they want the actor who can play what they think in their mind is a Haitian gynecologist, or like in my case, like you want a real orthopedic doctor? Me, that's me. And they're right. like, mm, no, you don't look like one, right? Right? They want the caricature archetype of it, which is fine. But I totally agree with you. Like, then don't say you want a real one because <laughs> can get you one. That's such an interesting, interesting point. I think, too, because of the push from reality TV and unscripted and improvised uh, shows now, they also will specify, well, we want, we want a real person because we want them to be able to improvise um, realistically. Mm -hmm. You know, they want the medical terms. They want right. the jargon. They want, you know, they, they, and, and sometimes they require licenses and, and proof of qualifications and it's like, okay, well, when when did acting stop being acting, you know? I'm an actor. Let me try to act like a Haitian gynecologist for you, you know? Or, or, <laughs> you know and so. it's funny because I thought, I, when I first entered in the industry, I was like, oh, I'm going to get auditions for all the medical roles because I can spew the medical jargon like no problem because it's my second language. But if you're a trained actor... You also can spew the medical jargon because you know how to speak acting language. You know how to read scripts and you know how to find the people to help you make this sound natural because you're you do, a trained actor. You do the research. 
you 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 go on YouTube five five minutes five minutes before going to set. You go on YouTube, <laughs> and you learn how to 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 climb cliffs and ride horses. I always think of well, yeah, and I always think of like the <laughs> actors in Game of Thrones who had to learn a made up language that doesn't exist in our world until Game of Thrones came, and they sound like they've been speaking it forever. It's like yeah. That's the same. It's because they have acting training to learn how to do that, and they they drill it. They know how to do it. It's not like they're just going to come on set and just automatically pick it up. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. Unless they answered the ad that said, looking for real Targaryens that ride dragons. Yeah, right. <laughs> we show certification. Yeah, please, please show, uh, like, send in a self-tape of you speaking fluent Dothraki. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask, just because I'm curious, this is a bit off topic, but kind of not. What was it like to do a degree in musical theater? Like, tell me a bit about that. I did, again, as somebody who didn't go to theater school, yeah. I'm so curious about what that is like. Well, it's it's a blending, you know, it's... um. And again, I told you music was my first love. So really, I went through it through music. So music, I took my music classes first, which mostly was theory, because I was also interested in composition, which was my minor, uh, composition and arranging. So, you know, you take your voice classes, and but then there's there's an intersection, you know, where it's like voice for for singing in a legit way, and then there's you know, taking voice for acting, you know, and inflections and tone. So that's where the crossover happens. The school I went to, Florida Atlantic University, they had just introduced a musical theater program, I think maybe a year or two prior. Um, so it was still a fledgling program. But essentially, you're, you're taking, you're splitting your time as you would with any any single major. So if if I was just majoring music, I would take this many courses in music, but musical theater, they split it. So you, you do half in theater, half in music, and then mm. the two come together. So, you know, I think in, in, in the early days of that program, you still, there's a little animosity, maybe a little pride because some people who were strictly theater um, kind of looked down on the people that were musical theater and people that were strictly music kind of looked down at the people that were in musical theater. So, you know, I saw it as having the best of both worlds. I got to I got to fulfill two things that I really enjoyed doing: find a way, find some synergy, find a way to make um, make it work together, get some experience. The funny thing about um, going to school at the same time that I was working is that I actually had um, my first professional experience while I was going to school. So I was working at a dinner theater in Boca Raton. Uh, as a professional actor doing musical theater while I was studying. So um, that was interesting because a lot of people just go to school first, then they start working. So um, I was, there was a lot of on-the-job training, essentially, and that I was bringing, hmm. you know, the work I was doing in the workplace was benefiting my school, and then the work, the things I was learning in school was benefiting me while I was working. So... Again, synergy. It was a it was a, a nice uh, confluence. Yeah, and then so you then kind of transition into building your own production company and stuff like that. And then again, you were saying the shift back into acting. Yeah. What have you found that you've been bringing in that you've been able to bring in from that more kind of backstage 
into now your acting career or has there been anything you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, even when I was just directing and producing, I confess, it, I, I after the first couple of productions that I, I directed and produced with the, the first company, I began to realize, well, you know, I still do like acting and performing and, you know, I got my own company here and there are some roles that some people might not have given me an opportunity to do that I could give myself an opportunity to do. So mm-hmm. a, a little bit of vanity theater kind of occurred and it's one thing when it's bad, but I, I think we did some good productions and I was in some of them. And so I, I, I'm not really apologizing for it, but um, I gave myself um, the opportunity to, to grow and learn and do some roles that I really wanted to do. Um, seven Brides for Seven Brothers, playing a, a mountain man, you know. You know, I mean, I... It's my favorite musical. Is it really? So I, I would I cast myself as Adam Pontefe and and um, absolutely you know, I, had, I had a great production I think and it to this day I mean some of the music from that is some of my favorite musical theater music and um, I would do that role again in a heartbeat but it's um, you know I, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels you know some offbeat kind of musicals um, in Town Bat Boy you know we we did a whole you know. Uh, palette of things. Some I was in, some I wasn't. Um, but I, I think giving myself permission to perform while I was directing and, and, and producing was an experience in and of itself because I soon realized I didn't like doing it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I don't like directing a show and being in the show at the same time because I find it very um, distracting because a director listens actively to everyone all the time a lot of active listening and you can't turn that off and you need to turn that off in order to focus as a performer when you're on stage so Mm -hmm. i think you know i think what i realized was you know in rehearsal you know i'm i'm trying to to be the epitome of a good actor in rehearsal and i'm finding it hard because I'm, i'm hearing someone complain about traffic or I can't believe they didn't have any bottled water for us tonight or, you know, you know, things, things that you just hear in the periphery or, Oh, my, my costume doesn't fit or, you know, my socks are missing, you know? And so you hear all these fires that you as a director maybe need to put out, but now you're on stage also trying to perform in a rehearsal. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it it pulls you, uh, in different ways. So, um, now, I like just being an actor who shows up someone else's headache if the socks are missing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking about, yeah, two things. One, yeah, my my first live theater experience wasn't that long ago. First one since high school. And I that was a big issue for me was trying to get in the right headspace when also my like doctor brain of like trying to put out fires everywhere wouldn't shut off. And mm-hmm. I had to be like, it's not your job like you're an actor here. You're not, you don't need to mother these other actors. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. Your doctor brain thinks you need to, but you don't need to. My second thought is we hear that all the time in the film world about if you aren't getting the roles you want, create them for yourself, right? Make your own content. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I don't know if that exists as much in the theater world or if there's a bit more, I would, as you were describing, I think it would be so much harder because of, 
you know, everything being live. And it's not like you can say I'm the director and now I'm going to go do a take in front of the camera and it's done and I can flip myself back into the director chair where everything is so live action in theater. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, because the, because of just the fundamental differences, like you say, between theater and, and, and film, you know, the, the, the thing I love about theater is the repetition um, but mm. the thing I love about film is not the repetition. <laughs> so it's like, it, it's like, you know, you love it all. You know, I, I love the difference. I love, um, you know, with film, you don't have the continuity. Sometimes you film things, you film the ending first, then the middle and then the beginning or, or some hodgepodge mix of that. But with theater, it's all linear. It's, you know, you show up, you put your makeup on, you put your costume on, you tell a story from beginning to end, then you show up the next night and do it again and again and again and again and again for for a lot less money than you do with film and TV. So I think that's, again, why I'm focusing right now on film and TV. Mm-hmm. How's that transition been? Because, yeah, like you were saying earlier, film and TV is a whole different beast, and especially, I would say, musical theater into TV. Yeah. And I think coming into it as well later in my life again, um, you know, I can't really use clips from when I was 20 and 25 to promote my abilities now. Right. So, and, and to your point, um, the, the idea of putting yourself in roles and giving yourself opportunities, the cool way I found to do that now is to do student films is to go to, to, to answer the call that some, you know, USC or some of these colleges, they have deals with, with the unions, so I can go as a SAG actor and um, do a film, but I can cherry pick in the ones I want to do. I mean, I can look and see, okay, they need um, a guy to play a psychopathic psychologist. Well, I haven't played a psychopathic psychologist. I'd like to add that to my reel, so, you know, I'll submit to that. And two out of nine times I might get a, um, um, uh, an inquiry, you know, or, or a request to do a self tape for that. And maybe I'll book one out of five, you know? And so I know that I'm creating, you know, an expanded reel of characters that are, you know, true to my age now that I can build upon. And it goes back to the adage of work begets work. Cause if, I'm doing any project and I'm promoting it out there um, in in the uh, the multitude of the internet. You know, people will see. Hey, he's working. He's doing this. He's doing that. He's hustling. You know, we should get him. We, you know, maybe. Oh, he could play a psychopathic psychologist for us in this film coming up. You know, so you know what I'm saying. It's it's um it it all kind of merges together and and that's how momentum is created. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any favorite either on set or on stage stories? Um, I was thinking of this because I think I saw it in your email. Um, <laughs> from film and TV, I can't think of any really funny moments that I've had um, that like stand out right now in my mind. But I do remember when I was working at the, the Mark II Dinner Theater in Orlando and I, I also stage managed for them, but in this particular production, I was I was an actor in it. Someone else was stage managing, 
And there was a, like a little piano mirror room next to the stage manager's booth, which was in the back of the theater. And at intermission, some of the actors would go to this rehearsal room and we'd just hang out and play some songs and sing because it was a dinner theater. And so we knew there was like a dessert thing going on at intermission. It takes about 20 minutes. And usually the stage manager would come out and they would knock on the door and say, hey, places for top of act two. Um, you know, we're going to be starting up. And we were in the room playing the piano and. You know, it just started to feel like, wow, we've been in here for a long time. And we'd stop and we'd listen. And it was like utter silence. We didn't hear, we didn't hear the, the characteristic sound of, you know, forks and knives hitting plates or anything. So we're like, wow, it's really quiet. So there was about eight of us in that room. And so we walked out. Act two had already started. And we were all in the top of act two. And it had started probably five minutes prior to us realizing it. Oh so we're like racing the backstage. There was one woman on stage, like just holding down the court, just like walking around the stage, just trying to look like she had a reason for being there. And we just kind of like filtered in and just, you know, just tried to make it look natural, you know, and just resume the show. But, um, you know, that, that was just one of those moments that we were just cackling about afterwards. And, yeah. Yeah, maybe half of the audience realized something was amiss, but, yeah. um, you know, we, it's one of those things you just, you know, glory days. Live theater, right? It just, yeah. that's just the best and the worst of it, right? Like just, yeah. oh my gosh, I love it. The unpredictability. And the stage manager, director and me just realizes the horror that I, I, I'm sure we put, we put her through. She's like, where's her? You know, because you're stuck. I mean, in that particular venue... The stage manager at that time ran the lighting board. So she's stuck in the back of the theater just watching and helpless and can't leave to knock on the door or tell us anything or find us. And, you know, you're just in panic mode. You're like, Where, where's my actors? You know, and you have nothing. Oh, you can do. my God. So, yeah. That, yeah. That sounds like probably, probably my worst nightmare to either be the sound person or that poor actor on stage. Yeah. <laughs> like improv. <laughs> Do you have any advice for anyone who might be thinking about either starting up again into acting or starting from ground zero, starting when, later, a little bit later on in life? Yeah. I mean, there's a great book. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's called um, An Actor Behaves. Hmm kind of a take, I guess, on like an actor prepares, an actor, yeah. does, you know, there's a bunch of different titles similar to that. But an actor behaves, I think, was was a good book for me um, early on because it kind of talks about work work ethic and, and good etiquette and how that can affect your career path, you know. A lot of a lot of people just think, oh yeah, you know, I'll memorize a monologue and I'll walk in there and you know they're going to love me and you know they don't really think about how do you treat the person that checks you in, you know how are you how are you how are you uh, treating other people that are in the room? Maybe the person sitting next to you at the audition is the daughter of the director and she's just there and you know. Later on, they're talking about casting and, oh, yeah, that guy was a real jerk, you know. So, you know, you, you, it, it kind of gives you the 411 on um, 
how different people in production communicate with one another, um, what you can do to um, not be not be too overt, you know, but um, not be the person that they remember badly, but be the person they remember in a good way, uh, goodly, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, a lot of people have nervous energy going into an audition and they're like, uh, oh, I'm so glad to be here. Oh, oh I love this show. Oh, I, I, I can't, I'd love to be on this show. Oh, it's so, oh yeah, you know, it's like all the... All, Everything comes out, you know, as, as this clumsy energy. And the trick is to really be more of an active listener and be kind of, you know, pull it all back and and just kind of be be the person they have questions about when you walk out, like good questions. Like, oh, yeah, I wonder, seems like he might be a cool guy. Maybe, you know, give them a reason to, to want to bring you back into the room later on or want to work with you. And I think that's that's the key thing is that talent opens the door, cracks it open for you, but talent isn't what puts you the job. It's it's the impression you leave when when you're showing them your talent. You know, it's it's they the, in my case they need to say, oh well, that guy looks like he'd be cool to work with. You know, I, we could have fun. Looks like he, he he's got his crap together. He's going to show up. He's going to be prepared. He's going to be on time, and it's going to be a fun experience, not, oh, that guy, he's kind of weird. He was asking for only avian water in the, in the waiting room. And, you know, he says he's a vegetarian that only eats, you know, piranha. Um, so I don't know if we, you know, want to deal with that kind of weirdness, you know, don't be too eccentric, I guess. Uh, I, but if, if, if eccentric, if eccentricity is your thing, and that's the character thing, then go for it. But, you know. Yeah, there was this adage I remember hearing. It, it was happy to be here, easy to work with. To a point. I mean, don't be so happy to be that easy to work with that, like, you know, things happen on set that are you shouldn't be happening. But, like, for the most part, happy to be there, easy to work with. Like, Take the temperature of the room, you know, and, and just be a sponge. Sometimes it's better to actively listen, I, even when you're on set. I mean, I find uh, I think the the assistant directors, everyone you work with, I think they appreciate it when you know what they're going to say to you before they say it, and you can do that by listening what's going on around you. How many times you know I'll hear a radio squawk and I'll hear you know, oh yeah, we need Ray on set. Okay. And then you, you hear someone relate to someone else and someone say, okay, yeah, oh, but tell them to wear the red tie. Okay. And then you hear someone, but, but so if you're actively listening, you know all that information before the fifth person relaying the message comes up to you says, oh, they need you on set and they want you to wear the red tie. You know, so it, it just, it makes things go faster because film and TV is all about productivity and time and money and if I've already got the red tie on and I'm already walking out the door before they get there, you know, I, they remember that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, that's great advice. I think because, yeah, I know a lot of the times, even when I've done like background work, 
I know we can tend to kind of get really bored really easily and kind of get nestled into our phones or whatever. But the times when I've had either upgrades or good things happen on set as a walking set piece in the background have been exactly those times when I've just been there and like focused on the third AD. And then you look at me and they go, oh, you, oh, come, come, you know, and then stuff happens if you're just actively actively yeah. there that's such great advice some people such they just i've uh, seen the background actors you know they have their own camp chairs and they're like yep <laughs> waiting to be waiting to be wakened up and what they need you on set oh you got time for coffee before i go yeah. Yeah, like <laughs> probably not getting booked again on that yeah. job maybe but yeah you know. Do you have anything you're looking forward to coming up? Uh, I did work on, um, am I allowed to talk about it? Yeah, I think I am. Um, I did work on a Western out in Montana about a month ago uh, called Into the Wild Frontier. It's a second season. It's a docu-series, but it's not like a, a blurred reenactment kind of show, like a lot of reenactment shows. It's like a talking head show where you have the historians talk and then they have these scripted live action sequences. So I'm looking forward to seeing how it comes out. I, I played a villain. I played um, Joseph Chenard, who is a French, um, a French voyageur. Uh, the voyageurs were the, they were trappers, but what they did was they, they transported the furs from where the, the land trappers were, would, would create the furs then they would put them in these bales of like 500 pounds and carry them on their backs to the canoes. And so they were essentially like the Marine force of the, of the 1800s taking the furs across the water. And so they have a certain pride, a certain, you know, mentality. Um, and my character was a bully. So he would, he would, he would pick on Americans, but he would also pick on his fellow, um, Quebecians and, um, so I got to put on the French accent and, you know, be physical and ride the horse and all that stuff. I was up there for about a week. So hopefully that'll come out next year. And I'm looking forward to seeing seeing how that turned out. We're talking about Seven Bride for Seven Brothers. I, I've been seeing a, a big renaissance, me personally, in Westerns and doing cowboy kind of roles. I also played a villain in a, another um, short film called the the lord of all future space and time so it's a sci-fi western but um i played a um kind of a real dirty sour guy um but again a western so i i think that might be my new niche that i'm going to be pursuing a, a little bit more is getting more westerns under my belt um but yeah so i'm looking forward to that do you have any final words of wisdom? Um, hmm. Glad we're not live. I want to think of a better <laughs> wisdom. Such a loaded, awful thing to la- ask at the very end. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So I think... I, I, I mentioned baby steps earlier, and sometimes they accumulate into momentum, sometimes they don't. But I think you have to be persistent, and you have to do something. If, if this is a new thing for you that you want to pursue acting, 
then you need to, to calendar it. You need to get your iPhone and put some time in so that every day you're doing something incremental to move yourself forward in that direction. You can't just wait for it to fall in your lap. You can't just dream about it and say, oh, I think I probably could be an actor, but oh yeah, I don't have time to do that. Or you don't have to, you don't want to talk yourself out of something either. Oh, you know, I'm too tall for that or I'm too big or I don't think they would, I don't think they'll use me or, you know, it sounds like they, you know, they only want BIPOC people. So, you know, I, I don't, you know, you know, and so you kind of like talk yourself out of things too. And you're definitely not going to get it if you don't even audition, if you don't even send in the self tape, if you don't even submit a resume or, or send them a note. It's a done deal. You're definitely not getting the job. They're not going to come knocking on your door. So every day you got to do something. And I don't see it as rejection if I send something to someone and I never hear from them again. Because in my mind, I've forgotten them first. So many times I'll get a, a call two weeks from now um, and they'll say, oh, yeah, you submitted for this film and we'd like you to come in uh, and do a chemistry test. I'm like, um, what is this for? Um, how much does it pay? Where are you? When, when does it shoot? Who are you? You know, because I forget the sides. I throw them away. I forget the job. I move on. Submit, move on. Submit, move on. And that's the best thing psychologically you can do for yourself, too, because mm -hmm. you don't want to look in the rearview mirror thinking, well, why didn't they call me yet? Is my nose too big? Oh, I, I really should have memorized more of that. Or, you know, you're, you're like torturing yourself with all this. Why, why don't they like me? Forget about it. Move on to the next thing. Be happily surprised if they do call you and then mystified as to what they're calling you about. That's the best way I found. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Ray, for being my guest this week. It was such a joy to talk to you. We have said such a great connection over the musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. You probably caught it during the episode. If you haven't seen the musical, definitely check it out. It's a classic. It's all about Stockholm Syndrome. It's phenomenal. A lot of delightful dancing. And one of my favorite musical theater performers of all time, Russ Tamblin. Thank you again, Ray, for sharing your story. I hope you will all tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!